literally going to jump. Let's see. Yeah, thank you. I was Olympian in my former life. <laughs> hey, guys. So this term, we've been looking through the book of Matthew together, and it's been epic. Um, it's been a really, really challenging, rich, deep series, and we're going to continue with that tonight. Um, and we're just looking at like a small question, no big deal, uh, just tackling what is the meaning of life? Um, so actually a very big question. It's something that we as people have been puzzling about, trying to find the answer to since forever, basically. We're still dealing with this question today. We're still trying to figure out what is worth giving my life to? What is the most important thing I should be doing with my life? Is it um, getting the perfect job so that I can have heaps of money and live the life that I want, um, provide for the type of family that I want? Is it family and relationships and friendships, finding that perfect guy or girl to spend the rest of my life with? Is that the most important thing? Is it experiences like travel and adventure? Is it moral causes? Should I be a social justice warrior and fight poverty or fight for women's rights or um, fight animal cruelty or the near extinction of certain animals or global warming or any of the other big causes that are out and about today that people are getting on board with? Is that what I should make my life about? What is the most important thing in life? What is the meaning of life? Now, that's the question that Jesus tackles in this chapter. And the first thing that he sort of tells us is that there is more to life than stuff. There is more to life than stuff. Have a look at verse 25 with me. It says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Well, hang on, hold up. These seem like pretty legit worries, yeah? These are like the basic necessities of life. How can he be telling me not to worry about these things? That doesn't seem to make much sense. They seem like legit worries. Let's keep reading that verse. He continues and says, It is not, is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes. So what he's saying is that there's actually more important things in life than even those basic necessities, those, that basic stuff. There's much more to life than what we can see and taste and touch and own. He's actually told us a bit about this in the passage right before what we read tonight. So if you have a look with me in verses 19 and 20, he starts off, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heavens, where moth, moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. He's ultimately saying here that anything on this planet will not last. It will decay it will die, it'll get stolen, it'll get damaged, it'll wear out. There is not a single thing on this planet that is going to last forever. And because of that, 
It's not worth chasing. It's not worth worrying about making your life all about that because it will not last. And even if it did last forever, it wouldn't matter because you can't take it with you to heaven. It's going to stay here. So why get caught up with things that are so transient, that are here today and gone tomorrow? He's saying, don't do that. Don't get caught up with anything in this world, with how many likes you get on your picture on Instagram, uh, with how well you do at that sport or in that class, uh, with having the most friends on Facebook um, or having the perfect boyfriend or girlfriend. Don't get caught up in any of the stuff in this world, any of this just stuff, because it doesn't last. And he says that instead of worrying about this, we're in fact made for something that's so much more significant. So what is it instead? He says, don't worry about these things. So what should we be looking after? What should we be chasing? Have a look in verse 33. He says there, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So instead of running after the things of this world that won't last, he's saying there are things that will last forever and those things are his kingdom and his righteousness, the things that are done for that. The things that are going to last forever, forever are whether you're welcomed into heaven and what you've done in this life that was for that kingdom. So seek that. Because how devastating would it be if you realized you'd spent so much of your life worrying about the things that didn't even matter, that weren't going to be of any import at all. Imagine this, right? You're with your mates, and you're heading to see, I don't know, the newest Avengers film. That's coming out soon, yeah? Um, and so you're super G'd up, because this film's like been coming out for ages. You guys decide to go to the 7 o'clock session, so you rock up right on 7, yeah? You're on time. Go up to the ticket lady, and you're buying your tickets, and you're like, hang on, hang on, hang on. We need to figure out the perfect spot to sit. Do we sit right up the back? Do we sit in the middle? Do we sit up the front? There's arguments that can be made for each one. Everyone's throwing in their two cents, arguing back and forth, trying to figure out best position. You finally decide where you want to sit in regards to back, middle, front. Now you've got to decide, are you going to be on the left wing, the middle wing, or the right wing in that? Now, like, personally, I reckon there's pretty strong arguments to be made for the center, right? Oh, no, but wait, hang on. There's heaps of people in the center. You're going to be like surrounded by all these people who aren't paying attention and keep turning to their mate being like, wait, what did he just say? What does it mean? Why is it a big deal that he picked up the hammer? Like all those dumb questions because they're not paying attention. And that's just annoying. I don't want to be distracted by that. Maybe we should hit the left so we feel like we've got the entire row to ourselves. Oh, no, no, but wait, I like being in amongst everyone because then when everyone cheers or everyone laughs or everyone gets scared, we're all doing it together and it like builds up the atmosphere and it's epic. Let's go in amongst everyone. Finally decide where you want to sit, left, right, middle, front, all of that. And she's looking at her, watch the ticket lady going, guys, the movie started like 20 minutes in, you've already missed the trailers and credits and everything. And you're like, no, no, it's all right, it's all right, first two minutes isn't much anyway. We've got to figure out what we're going to eat. Now that in and of itself is a science, right? How much chocolate versus sweet versus sour versus popcorn are you going? Ratios, you've got to divide that up between 10 different friends. Who's buying what? Do you get the popcorn-like value meal so you can include a drink in there? Oh, man, drinks. Do you go the big one? Because, like, it's a two-hour film. You want to be able for that to last you the whole way through. Oh, but if you get the big one, sometimes you drink that too fast and you need to pee and you always need to pee right in the most important part of the film and you'll miss it. Maybe don't go the big one, go the small one. 
after all the back and forth and figuring out the science of which food, combo, drinks, whatever to get, you finally go up to the guy who's going to tear your ticket and he goes, oh, no, sorry, the doors are closed. Oh, that's all right, man, we don't mind missing the start. No, 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 you don't get it. You haven't just missed the start. You've missed the beginning and you've pretty much missed the end. There's no point going in. You're done. Now, for me, I love movies, right? And so the idea that someone has spent so much time fussing over where to sit, what to eat, to the point where they've missed the film, man, that just kills me. That just proper kills me, eh? But in the end, that's just a movie. Imagine if you spent your entire life worrying about all the little details but actually missed the main point, what life was all actually about. That would be truly devastating. So Jesus is saying, don't worry about the day-to-day material things that aren't going to last. That's not the point. What you need to do is seek first his kingdom. But how do you do that? How do you seek first his kingdom? Well, the first question you've actually got to ask yourself is, are you even actually going to be in that kingdom? Because you see, the Bible tells us that there's a problem between us and God and that he sent his son to deal with that problem. Um, And so all you have to do is trust in the forgiveness that Jesus offers you because he died on the cross and follow him. You do that, you're in his kingdom. So first question, are you even in his kingdom? For those of us who are in his kingdom, um, for Christians, we know that there actually is so much more deeper things than just the physical things of this world that we can see. There's deeper matters to worry about, to focus on, to chase. Um, So how do we seek first his kingdom? Good news is, guys, is that everything we've been looking at in youth so far was that question, was Jesus answering that. The Sermon on the Mount is him showing us how to seek first his kingdom. So come back with me to the start of chapter 5. Flip over there because I'm going to do a skim summary through all of these things of what it looks like, what he's been laying out for us, how to seek first his kingdom as Christians. So as you scan along with me, you'll see where I'm picking all this stuff up. So the first thing is uh, seeking first his kingdom is being poor in spirit. Being poor in spirit is knowing that you need Jesus, humbly depending on him um, as you hunger and thirst for God's righteousness. It's not being content to live any way but God's way. Seeking first his kingdom means being salt and light, Um, being different from the world, standing out, being willing to sacrifice some cred, being willing to miss out on some things that your friends are doing, buying, saying, enjoying, because you know Jesus wants you to live differently. He wants you to be that salty, what is that, that different thing. He wants you to be that light in the darkness. Being willing to keep pestering your friends to come along to youth or to keep talking about God with them because it's important to you that they see the light that Jesus is. Seeking first his kingdom if you keep looking along, means following his commands. Listening when he tells you don't be angry or lustful, to love your enemies. It means praying to him and actually changing things in your life, removing a temptation from your life so that you can obey him more and more. 
keep reading on. Seeking first his kingdom means not being a hypocrite. So we're getting into the start of chapter six now. Yeah, um, not being a hypocrite, but instead being one who serves God humbly and obeys God humbly, even when no one else is watching. You're not just doing all this stuff for show so that people go, oh, look at you, you're following God. No, 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 you do that humbly when no one else is watching. Seeking his kingdom is caring first and foremost about what God wants and what his plans are for the world in every decision that you make. Check that list out. That's huge. I don't know about you guys, but when I look at that, I go, man, that is like, how do I do all of that? That is so hard. That is so much. These last few weeks, as we've been looking through the Sermon on the Mount, and I've been sitting next to you guys as Jesus unpacked all of this, I've felt the weight of that. These verses have bite, man. Now, if you feel like me in that and you're kind of overwhelmed, the good thing is that this passage tells us something else. The second thing we see is that God provides us with what we need to follow him. He's telling us not to worry about material things because God made you. He knows you and he knows what you need and he will provide that. You see that in verses 32 and 33? Have a look. Don't just take my word for it. Have a look. 32, 33. For the pagans run after all those things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all those things will be given to you as well. Jesus reminds us of something so basic here. Our God is sovereign He created all of life. He knows you. He knows what you need, and he has the power to provide it for you. He promises that he will provide it for you. This passage is riddled with examples of how that happens in the natural world. He keeps it spinning. He feeds the birds. The fields are flowered and clothed. It's a beautiful thing. He does all of that. The other big thing that we notice in these verses is that God cares for you. Have you guys ever felt or like wondered if God really knows you, like individually? Does he care about the things that you're freaking out about, um, that the fact that your friends left you out on this thing, that you're struggling with this big deal? Does God really know you and what you want and what you're about? Does he care about you and your life? Look at these, look at verse 26. The answer's here. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? This verse tells us that your life, you, matter to God. You are precious to him. If he provides for the birds in the fields, how much more will he provide for you? You are way more valuable than those things. We see this in those verses that because he cares for you, he's going to give you the things that you really need, not the material things that you think you need, but the things that you really need. Look at verse 33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of that's going to be given to you as well. He's talking here that he's going to give you what you need to seek first his kingdom. He's going to provide you with what you need to follow him. The biggest example, guys, of how he did this 
is the cross. Look at what he's already done for you. He's provided for our biggest need. We rejected God. We said, nah, I don't want you to be king of my life. I want to be king of my own life. Yeah, I can rule my own life. I know what's best for me. I want to live for me, not for you. The consequence of that was death. And there is nothing that we could do to save ourselves from that consequence. He knew that we were helpless to do anything about it. We could never live a life perfect enough to make up for that. And so he sent his son to die. To die so that you could be forgiven. So that you could be saved. You are so precious to him that he sent his son to die to provide for the biggest need that you have, your salvation. Now, if he's already done that for us, of course he's going to provide what we need to follow him. Now, some people get a little confused by this passage. That's fair enough. It can be a bit confusing. Sometimes people can read this passage and see that where it says God will provide them, Um, everything that they need if they follow him, they can look at that and go, oh, that means if I follow God, my life's going to be sweet. I'm always going to have food in my stomach, nice clothes on my back, a McMansion of a house, things will be sweet. But we've just seen, and can't you see, that it means the opposite. Don't worry about those things. Stop being concerned about these material things that aren't going to last. I'm going to provide you with the things that matter, with what you need to follow me for the things that are going to last. So it's not a promise that if you seek his kingdom, you're going to be sweet and life won't be hard. It's a promise that he's going to give you what you need to follow him regardless, though God will provide for us and we will receive all of this and so much more in heaven. So you might feel like your life's so hard right now and so obviously he's not providing for you. He is and you'll receive the ultimate fulfillment of that in heaven. It's like that movie thing again, right? Except this time, imagine that your mates already paid for your ticket, they've bought your ticket for you, and they've given you a lift to the film, to the movie, to Hoyts, right? Now, you sitting there fussing about where you're going to sit, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, none of that is actually needed to see the movie. You've already got everything you need to see the movie, You've been driven there, and you've got your ticket that's going to get you through the door. You don't need anything else. You might think you do, but you don't actually need anything else. All you need to do is use what you've already got. So it's like that. God's saying he's provided everything we need to follow him. It means that we can trust God as we give ourselves to follow him. It means that there is now... Three things. There is now no sin in your life that you can't beat. Do you guys ever feel that there's something that you've been wrestling with that no matter how hard you try, you can't overcome it, you can't escape it, you can't beat it? Maybe it's anger, maybe it's lust, maybe it's laziness, gossiping, swearing. That there's something in your life that you try to battle and you try to defeat and you just can't do it. God has given you everything you need to beat that sin. There is no sin that you can't defeat. He's given you the Holy Spirit so that you can say no to every temptation 
that comes your way, even when you think you can't. He's given you the Bible to help encourage you, to guide you, to instruct you, to show you how to defeat that, when to do it, um, to build you up as you do that. He's given you your Christian brothers and sisters to get alongside you, to walk that with you, to battle those sins with you, to encourage you every step of the way. He has given you every possible thing you need to beat every sin. There is now no discipline that's too big or too hard to pick up. A discipline of daily reading um, of your Bible can seem too big, too hard. A discipline of daily prayer can seem too big, too hard. He's given you the Holy Spirit. He's given you his son. He's given you your Christian brothers and sisters. He's given you everything you need. There is now no struggle in your life that is too big that it will pull you away from him. He has given you everything you need to hold on to him through every struggle in life. This passage, guys, has told us that the biggest thing that we should be chasing in our life, the thing that we should be all about, the thing that we should be worrying about are the things of his kingdom. And what's more It's told us he has given us everything we need to chase that, to follow him. 